Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I'm presenting a series of programs on the subject of divorce and remarriage, and today's program is a continuation of the previous broadcast. Now, in the previous broadcast, I was talking about 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 8 and 9, where the Apostle Paul was talking about marriage in the context of it is better for a person to marry than to burn with passion, that if the person is unmarried or they are a widow, and of course the unmarried, I believe can refer to either someone who has never been married, and I also believe that it can refer to someone who has been married but is now divorced, That's my personal belief, but some people will hold to the position that this refers to those who have never been married before, unless, of course, they are a widow. In which case, it is better for them to marry again if they are widowed, or marry for the first time if they have never been married before. It's better for that to happen than for them to burn with passion. However, what people will then tend to do is they will take the position that if you are divorced, then the situation is different. If you are divorced, then it is better for you to burn with passion than it is to marry. Again, people will believe that if you are divorced, it is better to burn with passion than to marry. And if you have not been divorced, you are either widowed or you have never been married, it is better for you to marry than to burn with passion. This is what I was explaining in the previous program, and I explained that to me this is an absolute contradiction that people believe, that people live in, and this is something that needs to be addressed, which is why I was addressing it in the previous program. But I also explained towards the end of the previous program that there are some people who do not burn with passion, but they still want to get married. So they get married for a reason that is different than perhaps their spouse got married for, or other people would get married for. And, of course, I believe that burning with passion is a reasonable encouragement to get married, but it definitely is not what's going to make a good marriage. At the same time, if a person is not burning with passion, they are going to get married for other reasons, but those reasons that they get married for may not necessarily be good reasons to get married, or they may not be reasons that will help in building a good marriage either. And at the end of the previous program, I was explaining one of the consequences that often happens. It happens often enough to justify mentioning it. One of the consequences of someone marrying for a reason other than the desire to engage intimately with another person, one of the consequences can easily result in a tremendous amount of resentment towards their spouse because their spouse owes them and their spouse just doesn't seem to be paying what they owe them. This was a situation I explained in the previous program and I ran out of time and so I'm reviewing it right now just to tell you that I only spoke in generalities that what I said can provide you with some unique insights concerning the thought processes 
of some people when you hear them say obscure things like "You owe me." And you wonder why? For what? I'm the one who's been giving an abundance to you out of everything I've got, and yet you claim that I still owe you. These are interesting conversations that people have on occasion, and so I provided some information that can help with some of the circumstances when a statement like that is presented. And you can take that information and you can extract the fundamental principles behind what I was explaining. And I believe that many of those. Principles can be used in order to explain and help you understand other circumstances and other situations that you may be confronted with in your life, or you may see others being confronted with in their lives. And so, the previous program was about First Corinthians chapter seven, verses eight and nine. In this program, I'm going to address chapter seven from a general point of view, and then go into some specifics towards the end with reference to verse ten and verse fourteen, things like that. To begin with, I'm going to start with the condition of the Corinthian church. I really believe that that's the first thing that we need to consider: that the Corinthian church was apparently dealing with some issues. As you read through the letter that Paul wrote to the Corinthians, the first letter and also the second letter, as you study them carefully, you can begin to understand quickly that the believers in the Corinthian church were relatively new believers. They didn't seem to be very mature in their faith. They were dealing with some issues that you probably would be quite surprised that a Christian would be dealing with such issues, but that's what they were dealing with. But this is what I want you to consider, and that is that we have new believers who are adjusting to their new life of faith in Christ Jesus. They have a new faith; they're building a new life that is not going to look like the life they had before. And they are experiencing some adjustments. Now, when it comes to decisions that people make in their life concerning how they are going to live it, what they are going to do, that would be a reflection of their faith. This is something that a person grows in throughout their life, and as a person matures in their faith, they will make different choices than they would have made when they were young in their faith. One of the ways that we can describe maturity, just to give you a difference between those who are immature and those who are mature, one of the ways that we can describe maturity is that a mature believer is perhaps a little bit more sensitive or is responding a little bit more to the truth that God has revealed. They may perhaps be a little bit more sensitive to the Holy Spirit, and what I mean by that is not by squinting their eyes in a special way or. Praying often—that's not what I mean. What I mean by sensitive is that they know the voice of God when they hear it. That's what I mean, and they respond to the voice of God when they hear it with conviction and with peace. This is something that happens in maturity over time, as a person lives their life, and should not be expected of a new believer. In fact, if a new believer asserts themselves as having such maturity. I believe it's reasonable to hold that as suspect and to be concerned about them experiencing proper transitions in their growth and maturity in Christ Jesus. Now, I do not believe that they should be prevented from being of service to other people in any way, and that they should be supported, even though they may not have really gone through their life experience over an extended period of time with Christ Jesus. Those are individual dynamics and. You, as a mature believer, need to be mature enough in order to know the differences. 
that a person can experience profound maturity even though they are young in their faith, just as a person can experience profound immaturity even though they have been in the faith for a long time. Don't be distracted by such things and be sensitive to the Holy Spirit to give you discernment concerning such issues. But the new believers in Corinth were making changes and they were having to make decisions about their lives. They had to make choices about how they were going to relate to one another, relate to others, how they were going to make changes in their lives so that their lives would be more of a reflection of how Christ Jesus would intend them to live. Now, a mature believer will be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. An immature believer is not going to be very sensitive to the Holy Spirit, but that doesn't mean that they shouldn't still wrestle with these issues and try to make decisions and try to do the right thing. But what happens is, is that we end up using the law in order to deal with issues that would normally be resolved if the Holy Spirit was guiding a person personally and individually, but until he does, until he meets the deepest needs of their hearts, until he brings them to a state of peace, that they can get past such issues in a mature way until that happens, sometimes we have to say, this is right, this is wrong. Do this, don't do this. And we can use the law as a guide, or we can use the law as a means of explaining how we come to the conclusions that we come to, this is a fact of life. And as long as we recognize these decisions for what they are, that they are not absolute commandments from God that require punishment for failure to live in obedience to, but these are just simply statements of direction and guidance and counsel, and that these are how people make decisions until the decisions can be made in a better way, As long as there is understanding concerning these things, then I believe that it's appropriate to use the law on occasion. I believe it's appropriate to make decisions and to say that this is what a person should do or shouldn't do according to our knowledge of good and evil. There are circumstances in life when we do that. Even even myself, there are plenty of occasions where I will do something that I know is the right thing to do, but I don't want to do it. Deep down inside, I don't, but I do it because it's the right thing to do. And I know deep down inside in my being that I would prefer to do it because I wanted to do it, because I am trusting my God, because he has done a work in my heart. I would certainly love to make decisions many times because I am motivated and directed by the Holy Spirit. But regrettably, because I am not as mature As I would like to be on occasion, I will make a decision and a choice just because it's the right thing to do. And I'm not saying that it's acceptable to do that or it is unacceptable to do that. I'm just saying that I personally would prefer to be led and guided by the Holy Spirit. But sometimes either he is not leading me or my heart just simply is not with him. And so I make decisions that are right just because they're right. And I am at peace with that, and I live my life that way. So when you're dealing with a new believer, you may find that many of their decisions are made just because those are the right decisions to make, not because they want to make those decisions, as you would hope they would if they were a mature believer. And we should live our lives understanding this. Now, the Corinthian church sent Paul a letter. 
We know this because we can look at 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1, where Paul wrote, Now concerning the things which you wrote to me. Concerning the things that you wrote to me. We know that the Corinthians sent a letter to the Apostle Paul. And the letter that he wrote, 1 Corinthians, is a reply to their letter. We know this. We can read this right here. We can see that they wrote Paul a letter. He's writing them back, and he is obviously answering questions and concerns that the Corinthians have. Unfortunately, I do not have the letter that they wrote to Paul. I don't have that. All I have is the letter that he wrote to them. And so we are at a little bit of a disadvantage just because we don't know what they asked him. We don't know what they said to him. We don't know what their description was concerning the circumstances that they were dealing with. I believe that we can learn a lot from what he has said in response about what they were dealing with or about the questions that they were asking him. But we have to understand that we don't have all of the information that perhaps we would like to have because we don't have the letter that they wrote to him. We have this letter, which is his response to what they wrote. Now, another thing that I would like to mention is that if you continue to read over to chapter 11, if you keep reading, when you get to chapter 11, verse 34, he mentions that the rest he will set in order when he arrives. To me, that is a form of closure that could very well just be referring to those verses in proximity. But I personally believe that he was talking about more than just those verses in proximity, but he was talking about everything that he was saying He said that he had a lot to say right now, but that he would tell them more later, that he would deal with issues later, that he would probably make some adjustments to the things that they did in response to what he told them, that there would be some changes above and beyond what he is suggesting right now. And so I just wanted to mention that, that what we have is we have a number of verses that give us the indication that he is responding to a specific set of circumstances that the Corinthians are dealing with. Now, when he gave his response to their letter, when he gave his response to the circumstances that they were dealing with, does this mean that his response is for every possible circumstance that we can find that we may be able to apply what he said to these other circumstances. Well, I believe that in some ways we can. I don't think that there's anything inherently wrong with that. But if we do take what he said and apply it to situations or circumstances that are outside of the church in Corinth, which of course we are in now because we don't have the church in Corinth today like he had back then, If we are going to take what he said and apply it to our lives, we need to do so with the understanding that he may not have intended to apply everything precisely as he said it to our lives today right now. I believe that that is an acceptable way of reading this. Now, I, of course, am not saying this in order to find some verse in here that I don't like so that I can say, well, that was just for the Corinthians and not necessarily for us. 
That's not what I'm intending to say, and I certainly have no reason to do that with anything that he had to say. I am just simply explaining the tone of his letter to put this in the proper context so that you do not automatically assume, because it's easy to do, you can easily assume that everything he said is to be applied to every circumstance that we can find that we might be able to apply it, when in reality that may not have been his intent, and it may not be the intent of the Lord either. And so I just wanted to raise that issue, I wanted to raise that concern, not to cast any doubts about what he said, but in order to make sure that we don't automatically read something from a certain bias or from certain assumptions without first acknowledging that the proper bias and assumption has to do with the fact that the Corinthians were dealing with the adjustments that they were going through because they became believers, because they're new believers, and they're trying to figure out how to orient their lives or how to make changes in their lives appropriately. This is the context of 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Now, in chapter 7, we have the subject of marriage, we have the subject of divorce, and we have the subject of remarriage. All packaged together in this one chapter. In other words, it's intermingled. The issues related to marriage, divorce, remarriage, everything, they're all in here. It's all intermingled. And so because of that, sometimes you kind of have to read through it, understanding that, well, now he's talking about this, and then he's talking about that, and then he's going to talk about something else, and then he's going to talk about something that he was talking about before. And you can easily feel a little lost sometimes because you're wondering, why didn't he just deal with the subject of marriage and then deal with the subject of divorce and then deal with this and then deal with that instead of putting it all together in this one chapter? And again, it's my belief that the reason why he put it all together is because he's answering a set of questions and this is probably the best way to answer that collection of questions that they were asking him but I don't have those questions in order to give you a complete evaluation and say that this is what I believe is definitely the case. All I can say is that this is a suspicion that I have, and I certainly would like to find a copy of the letter that they wrote him so that I can get some more information concerning this and have a better understanding with reference to this. And so I wanted to mention that because if you go into this chapter and you see all of these different subjects all together it can be very difficult to extract them and put them in their proper place when it comes to a topical issue, only because he didn't write it with that intent, but sometimes people go to read this chapter with one of those specific intents. They go in looking for specific information related to marriage, or specific information related to divorce, or specific information related to remarriage. And there's all this other stuff around it that can sometimes make it a little difficult to wade through these verses. So after looking at these verses and considering the subject of divorce, I'm going to start in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 10 and 11 and verse 14. I'm going to start in these places. I'm going to go towards these verses in order to begin to deal with the issue. There are two different points of view that I can start from. One point of view is to talk about what Paul said in verses 10 and 11, where he said either the Lord says this or I, Paul says this. That's one point of view that I can take this from. But there's another point of view that I can start from, and that's from verse 14, where he talks about the subject of sanctification. 
that these are the two places that I can start with. You know, in most cases, what people will tend to do is they'll start with verses 10 and 11 and say, well, the Lord says this and Paul is saying this. And so we should read this in the context of, well, this is just what Paul is saying, but he's not necessarily saying that this is what the Lord is saying. And that's that's a reasonable place to start. But I'm just simply not going to start there quite yet. I will get to that. Instead, I'm going to start with verse 14. That's what I'm going to begin with is the subject of sanctification, because when people are making decisions in their lives concerning divorce and remarriage or whether they're going to get married at all, things like that, the subject of sanctification, holiness and righteousness, and is this the right thing to do or the wrong thing to do, I'm going to deal with it from that point of view first, because again, I believe that the Corinthians were asking Paul specific questions as they were trying to make changes in their life. And so let's take a look at what he is saying that would be direct towards the subject of change with regards to sanctification and holiness. Let's deal with it from that point of view first, and then I'll talk about him saying in verse 10 that the Lord says, and then verse 11, but I say, I'll talk about that afterwards. So why... Would he speak about the subject of sanctification? Well, it depends on the sincerity and the determination of the Corinthians. That's what it really depends on. You see, if they are trying to make decisions on the basis of good and evil, if they are trying to make decisions on the basis of what is right and wrong because it's the best they can do, because they are not being led by the Holy Spirit very much compared to how they will be later when they mature in their faith, then what would they probably be doing already? Well, I believe that they would have already looked into the law, that they would have already looked into the scriptures to make some decisions about what they might do in their present circumstances. And in doing that, One of the things that I suspect, which I have no way to confirm because I don't have a letter that they wrote, but one of the things that I suspect is that they were wrestling with Ezra chapter 10. Ezra chapter 10. Now, I talked about Ezra chapter 10 in program number 6 in this series. In program number 6 of this series, I explained that God required that a divorce take place according to the law because some of the Levites, the men who were Levites, who returned from Babylon, had married women who were not Israelites. Some of the men who returned from Babylon, who were Levites, had married non-Israelite women, and so God required that a divorce take place according to the law And I believe that they probably knew about this and that this might have motivated them to ask questions such as, should I divorce my spouse or not? I may not be a Levite, that's true, but is it the right thing to do? Is it the holy thing to do? Is it the way of life that would be sanctified for me to do this? I believe that this could be a motivator that would drive them to ask such questions that would encourage Paul to answer in the way that he did in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 
I'm going to read verse 14 now, where it says, For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but now they are holy. I'm going to start here, just to jump in someplace. I'm going to start here because I believe that the reason why he would say something like this is to respond to a concern that I believe would be expected, and that is, should they remain in the marriages that they are in because they are now believers, because they are now part of the nation of Israel, according to the New Covenant, should they be thinking about divorcing their spouses? And he says something here that tells me that they are struggling with the issues related to what is good and evil, what is according to the law, and that he is saying something in order to encourage them to stay married, to stay in the condition that they are in right now, and to understand that they are sanctified, that their spouses are sanctified, their children are sanctified, that they do not need to be making decisions, being concerned about whether or not their present relationship is holy, or if their children are sanctified, things like that. Again, it would be better to have the questions that they asked him, but considering how he answered them, I believe we can consider that this is a probability, and I believe that it's worth mentioning just because of what he says here in response. Now, for him to say this, this raises all kinds of important questions related to sanctification, related to holiness, right? Because if a person is going to be holy, if they're going to be sanctified, then are they holy? Are they sanctified because they're married to somebody who is a believer or because they believe themselves? I mean, this raises all kinds of important questions. Is a person's sanctification established on the basis of their belief or on the basis of the belief of their spouse? This is where I'm going to start in order to address the individual passages in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And I will continue with this in the next broadcast. You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 383-53, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80937. Or use the donation link on our website, livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Thank you,